my why is justice, really, to be able to speak up, to be a part of the conversation, just to be sure that folks are heard is really important to me. You can ignore a problem and hope it will go away or take action and be part of the solution. I'm Rebecca Mutter, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Advocating for those within your span of care is what leadership is all about. Quana Batiste, Chief Nursing Officer at UCLA Health, lives and breathes this sentiment every day. She uses her position to ensure her staff's needs are heard and her patients get the best care possible. In this episode, Quana talks about how to respectfully escalate a conversation so that it goes from merely discussing an issue to reaching a point where change happens. It was this ability to move things forward that started Quana's journey into nurse leadership. As we join the conversation, let's begin there. Years ago, I was working on a unit. I was an LPN and then went back to school and became an RN. My first day out of RN school, I was the charge nurse. Now I had been an LPN for about eight years and had been working on that unit for a few years. And in six months, the team on the unit came to me and they said, Quana, we want you to be our leader. We want you to apply for the nurse manager position. I hadn't thought about it, but I realized at that moment that my team, and these were nurses who were senior nurses, veteran nurses, you know, new nurses, and some of my peers who really saw leadership qualities in me that they felt that I was the person to, to be able to represent them. So that was my start in nursing leadership. And over time, I have had increasing responsibilities for larger spans of control. And every time an opportunity has presented itself to me, I've always reflected back on that moment when I was chosen by nurses to lead them. And I saw it as an honor and a challenge. And I bring that with me in all of the roles that I've assumed. And now as the chief nursing officer at UCLA Health in California, I still remember, you know, the look on the faces and their conversations to convince me. And that really helped me to understand that I did have what it took to be a nurse leader, but that I also needed to have confidence and build my leadership acumen to be able to fully step into the role. It's so amazing when other people see us in a different way than the way we see ourselves. And it sounds like this was an example where people around you really saw something in you. And that's what it took to get you to take that next step. Absolutely. You're always on stage. You never know how other folks see you and how you show up. And I think at that moment, I had done some things where they felt confident in my ability to lead. Now there was, you know, years and years of schooling behind that, but I did have those intrinsic values of advocacy, of justice early on. And those things have stuck with me throughout my career. I love how you say advocacy and justice. Can you share a little bit, Quana, of what you think really helped others see you in this position? So, you know, I always found myself in conversations and others may also find yourself to be the one that folks come to for advice or just to talk to. And it's really what you do with those conversations. So when I would be casually talking to individuals and just hearing about their concerns and they're venting to me about what's going on, maybe something on the unit that needed to change, it was something in me that would escalate those conversations in a way that was respectful, but just to be the voice for what everyone was feeling when no one was willing to speak up. And those are the principles that I still 
live through and live true to today. When you talk about speaking up for racism and nursing and healthcare, it's the things, the elephant in the room that people see but don't address is something that is born into me that makes me feel comfortable saying, hey, this is what we're, we're feeling. And so when the Pixis machine wasn't working or we didn't have the right supplies or the IV catheters, the new ones didn't work, I would just take that to the next level and say, hey, this is what's happening instead of just taking in the information and realizing that it's not right, but not saying anything. I always chose the opportunity to speak up because I saw that as the only way that things would change and get better. You know, as people, we can sit with information, know it, not do anything about it and just complain about it, or we can take a step forward, escalate the conversation and be a part of the solution. And that's really where I'm more comfortable. And I think my comfort started as nurse leader advocating for the nurses on the unit and now uh, more globally advocating in this role and you know other things that I work on in the community. You mentioned racial equality and talking about speaking up in relation to that and in nursing. And I know you've done a lot of work around that, especially with the American Nurses Association in California. Can you share a little bit about your work there and, and what are some of the things that, that you've done that you're really proud of and where are we going? with that as we look to the future, because so much has happened during COVID around this. And there's so much that needs to happen as we come out of the pandemic and going forward that I always think about how we have to make sure that the energy of the pandemic doesn't overstep some of these other areas that we've also seen progress in. And we really need to be progressing in all areas to transform healthcare. And one of them certainly was health equity and racial justice. So the work that we've done uh, as a member of the task force to eliminate racism in healthcare and nursing with ANA California is really to, um, they brought a team of nurses together across the, the state and it was at um, the impetus of the death of George Floyd. There was a national outcry um, about the injustice and racism that was happening and has been happening across the, our nation. And, you know, nurses are not immune. The nursing discipline, the nursing workforce is not immune to the ails of society. So those same perils that folks are experiencing when they are experiencing racism also happen in nursing. So our task force decided that we needed to create sustainable change as it relates to experiences of nurses and patients and with racism in healthcare. And we thought, you know, each of us is coming from different backgrounds. We've had different lived experiences. In order to affect our discipline, we needed to start with ourselves. And as nurses, you know, we have a thing called the nursing process. It's our way of problem solving. So we saw this as a problem that we could use the nursing process in order to improve. And we created a care plan for racism. And it starts with assessment. You know, assessment is the first step in the nursing process. It's the first step in anyone trying to understand self-awareness. So we have a 50 question assessment that we've developed where nurses, nurse leaders, staff nurses can go on, take that assessment. At the end of the assessment, they get an, an action plan. That action plan actually starts with an acknowledgement. Everyone signs an acknowledgement that they agree and attest that they will be a part of change. And then they go through the steps in the action plan. There's some check-in points. There's some things that need to happen. So there's work to be done in order to make this happen. But the ultimate beginning of it starts with the nurse as their cells and then the nurse as the leader on their units. And maybe even on a state level, if that nurse is at that level, 
they're at a senior leadership level, there are things and actions that can be taken on those levels as well. So it's really an inclusive way for nurses to assess where they are, to educate themselves about what racism is, to really renounce any misconceptions about racism, and really to get everyone on the same page so we can move this change forward. It's really powerful, I think, when you talk about starting the work with a self-reflection and an assessment, and then people, after they go through that reflective process of maybe becoming aware of things that they didn't even know that they were doing or were aware of. And it's the silent part of this that really is probably in some ways even the most transformative because then they agree to be part of the change and they start to do that work. Seems like that's a really powerful way to begin to heal from the inside out. I think so. And it comes with a a breath of acceptance. So, you know, we all are being accepted where we are. There may have been things in our past that have made us behave in a certain way, but we can all change, right? As long as you have breath in your body, you have the ability to change. So I think providing that knowledge is what the assessment and the action plan does, is really to arm the nurse with the tools to be able to advocate for patients. Nurses are ethically bound by our profession to advocate for patients, and that includes social justice and social injustice. So being a part of change, being a part of conversations where we can really make an impact to improve the lives of others. We can't skip over the fact that racism impacts healthcare, that health disparities exist because of structural racism, where there's um, a lack of food, a lack of equal healthcare, a lack of the way that folks are even cared for based on the color of their skin and their ethnicity. So those are the things that we need to address in order to improve care and the health of our, our nation. Absolutely. I love how you said, as long as we have breath in our bodies, we have the ability to change. I think about your work and your passion around this and in your role as a nurse executive, how do you set the stage for your team to be able to reflect and change and push to be better? I set the stage by leading differently. I am an authentic leader. I'm a servant leader. So I try to create an environment where everyone feels comfortable with what they don't know and what they know, and that they're able to bring their whole self to the table to do the work that we've been called to do. I have a diverse team. I believe that diversity in thought, diversity in experiences create a better experience for the group. So being sure that I'm paying attention and building in the diversity so that we have the right people at the table, creating and developing processes that impact patients. We have a diverse patient population. I believe that the workforce should be diverse as well. I think it's in the way that I lead the staff every day. We have huddles. I believe in talking through problems. I also believe in being efficient. So setting goals, making sure that everyone is aware of what the North Star is or what our true North is and keeping everyone on task and also being motivational, motivating everyone throughout this pandemic. It's been a really rough two years. And I think that being honest is has been what has led me to be successful in such a trying time. We have been faced with multiple ways of assisting in the pandemic from, you know, testing patients for COVID, treating patients with COVID monoclonal antibodies. Now we're up to vaccines, coming up with ways to keep our workforce healthy, making sure that we are abreast of the newest information as it relates to, you know, personal protective equipment that everyone has what they need to keep themselves safe and to keep our patients safe. 
as well as moving along with the evidence so that we can provide the best care to our patients. So if it's adjusting the ages for patients who are getting vaccines, you know, they keep lowering the ages. We keep bringing more patients in. We still have to remain safe. So it's really sharing information as I get it. I don't believe in holding information. If I know it, I believe my team should know it. So keeping them a part of the conversation, allowing them to help me make decisions is what has really led to the success of of myself in leadership. I know one of the things that you shared with me before is this idea of like how we've really had to look at boundaries and in light of the pandemic and what you know nursing has done in the past and what it does now and what it will do in the future looks different. The power of the nursing workforce has been pretty much in the shadows before the pandemic. Nurses are the largest workforce in the country, but no one really knew what nurses did. And in comes the COVID-19 pandemic. And now there is insight into what nurses do. There's also insight into the stress and fatigue of the role and how we need to change healthcare in order to keep nurses in the profession and also be able to manage with the patients that we need to see. So I believe that we're at a point in healthcare just because of the shortage of nurses, the mass exodus of multiple generations of folks from the workforce period, and that also includes healthcare. Folks have taken the opportunity to reflect in the pandemic and may have decided that it's time for them to retire. So we have early retirement, we have planned retirement, and we have folks who are really just exhausted. So the pandemic has taken a really a strong mental toll on the health of our healthcare workforce. And in nursing, we have to understand more about what nurses do and also what nurses don't need to do. I think there's an opportunity to right-size the workload of nurses to be able to transition those things that nurses really don't need to do to other individuals, to be able to build a high-functioning team that's better able to care for individuals in a more efficient way. And it's interesting because you started your career in so many different types of caregiving roles as you kind of worked your way up. How has that impacted the way that you see this type of work? Well, because I've worked in various different roles in healthcare, I understand what those roles are and what they can do. So I don't only have the idea that everything requires an RN. I understand the role of an LVN, the role of a medical assistant, the role of different technicians. And I think it's in having that inclusive discussion and me having those lived experiences, I know that we don't actually need to be an RN to do this work. So I think having that experience has given me the ability to think outside of the box and really not to hold on to things that, as nursing, that really don't need to be held on to, to be able to understand what the abilities of the other disciplines are and to be able to leverage those to have the nurse as the leader of the care team, but also to be able to optimize the role of other disciplines. You know, at Wambi, we talk about this all the time because we talk about getting people into their highest and best use. And I feel like we haven't always done a good job of that in healthcare. I know we talk about working at the top of the license, but, you know, I think that penetrates so many different things that we can do better at in healthcare. I think so. And I think it's it's really a transition from the traditional way that healthcare was designed into a new way of thinking. I think there's opportunity to leverage technology to enhance the care that we give and not make it so burdensome. But you have to have the healthcare providers actually as part of the design team, which sometimes doesn't happen. 
So I think that when you work uh, as a team collaboratively to develop that technology, it can really be more meaningful. So I do think that having everyone work to the top of their license, to the top of their ability, also requires having everyone develop the work together. And I think it's not really about the license, it's more about function. So how are you functioning in your role? Do we have the right roles and responsibilities? When you don't have that, things take longer, they're less efficient. Um, Meetings take longer, you need more people. But if we had had the right roles and responsibilities from the front, we could be assured that we had the most qualified person making the decision and able to move on that. Absolutely. So true. And I feel like one of the things that the pandemic has brought upon us in healthcare is the ability to make faster decisions. We have made lightning speed, you know, is is what we're doing now with making decisions. Decisions that would have taken months and several meetings now get solved in one meeting. A lot of the bureaucracy has fallen away. And really, there's been a levelizing of the playing field. So physicians are on the same level as nurses, as administrative staff. Everyone has their sleeves rolled up and we are ready to make the change. So everyone is being respectful and respected for the information that they hold and their expertise and allowing those conversations to lead the decision making as opposed to someone's position of power. You know, when I think about you, Kwana, I really think of change maker. One of the things I feel like change makers do really well is you're able to see the vision of what's to come down the road. And when quick decisions are made, you're able to quickly sort of execute on them and then pivot if you need to. I feel like there is still hesitancy, even though we've seen the breaking down of silos within healthcare to be able to make faster decisions, but there's still like that creeping in I've seen of hesitancy of when we have, you know, we make a quick decision that's informed, but it's fast and we want to effectuate change. How do you have the stomach for that? And how do you rally your fellow executive leaders around changing? It's in the conversation. I believe that leaders are trusted. So that trust is built over time. And if you have the trust and you have those relationships, leveraging those relationships really help to alleviate any concerns that would happen when you have really quick change moments. And also allowing the conversations to evolve. Because I'm a visionary leader, I can see the end. Sometimes, most of the time when others don't see it, So that's a scary place to be because I could turn around and no one's behind me. But having the opportunity, because I know that I really work, I work really hard to communicate what I'm seeing and why, and it's in the why, and also um, soliciting feedback. So asking questions, allowing the conversation, because I believe that everyone has to come to the point where I am in order for us to move forward. I can't be leading and no one's behind me because they don't understand where we're going. So true. And you know, when you say it's in the why, I feel like this has come up a lot recently in many different contexts. We think about the 49% of healthcare workers today that are either looking to leave the profession or leave their job during the pandemic. That's a lot of attrition. And when we think about how to keep them in their jobs, of course, connecting people back to their why is an important way to do that. I'm curious about your why and also how you kind of set the stage for your team to be connected back to theirs. My why is really in patients. I'm a consummate patient advocate. So because of it, I now advocate for nurses. So that advocacy that I can remember as a patient navigator for breast cancer patients speaking up when they didn't understand their diagnosis, they didn't understand their treatment. 
that's the same advocacy that I do for the staff when they're concerned that they're being asked to perform a task that they're really not clear on how to do it. So it is, my why is really the passion that I have for people in ensuring that they receive the best care possible. And that is really fed by things that I've seen in my career that haven't gone so well. So care that I've seen of family members where I had to step in because I didn't feel that they were going to receive the best care possible. Opportunities for staff when something was happening to them and I stood up for them and said, hey, this is what's happening and advocated for them. So my why is justice, really, to be able to speak up, to be a part of the conversation, just to be sure that folks are heard is really important to me. And and for my staff, it's creating that, that environment of belonging. I think that when folks feel they belong, they won't leave. So we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I thought I think we also need to talk about a sense of belonging. And with that sense of belonging, helping folks find their meaning, the joy in their work, what brings you joy, and connecting back to that joy. And I think that that will help to quiet the noise and all of the anxiety that's causing folks to want to leave our profession. So true. And it also wraps back so importantly to the diversity um, aspect that you were talking about before and how really being able to create an environment where people feel that they belong. It's a challenge for sure. And I think that we can do it a lot better than what we've been doing as an industry. As you look at sort of the pandemic and some of the impact it's had, how do you feel this sense of belonging has been impacted. Because one of the things that that dawns on me is this concept of so many people are covered in PPE. They have less time to be on that human side of their work where they're connecting with their colleagues. They see people in different ways. They're, they're in person, less for internal functions. How do we create a sense of belonging in a COVID world? That's a great question. And I find myself having impromptu Zoom meetings. So why not harness technology, right, to create a sense of belonging? So in a world where something could be a phone call, I will just pop in and and create a Zoom meeting and just let's talk about it, where something could be an email. I think that connecting and utilizing it in a less formal way to create those opportunities for social connection is really important. So um, we know that folks have Zoom parties as a way to connect when they can't be physically attached to one another. So I think that being creative in the way that we extend those opportunities for belonging is what has to happen during this pandemic. And in my work, I do that by just saying, hey, can I see you? Or when we're on Zoom, can I see your face? And just commenting on how when someone looks to make them smile, make them feel connected when they're not physically connected. You know, when pre-pandemic, you know, I have an open door policy. If my door is open, come on in. I have staff who would just come in and sit in the chair and talk. Not having that opportunity leaves a void. So having the ability to pop in and say, hey, Quana, this is what's going on, or just talk about what's going on in their life. Recognizing that every individual is a human being coming with not only their work self, but their personal side. And also being attuned to what's going on in their life and having those conversations, I think as well, helps someone feel whole at work and strengthens that connection. Feeling whole at work. I love how you said that. And that's so true. That's so important for people to be able to really show up. A lot of conversations that we have on Moments Move Us are about sort of quintessential moments or experiences that happen that really transform or change kind of the future as we see it. 
Can you share a moment that's happened in the last two years that really changed your outlook about where things were going or informed you of something that that maybe you didn't know of before? Over the past two years, there have been lots of opportunities or aha moments. But one that I can really uh, reflect on is when there was a white coat for Black Lives presentation outside. There was a march and there was, you know, a discussion, there was a rally, there were signs and there was someone speaking and the folks leading the effort decided to have eight minutes of silence. And then everyone talked about their lived experiences. And when I uh, was standing out there and I made my way to the front of the group and there were hundreds of hundreds of folks in white coats standing out there. And I saw the president of our organization standing there along with our senior leadership team. And our president was not standing in the front, but she was standing amidst the rest of the staff. She was present and she wanted to be a part of what was going on and understand. That was a moment for me when I saw that what leadership is, that you don't always have to be leading the conversation. Sometimes your presence speaks volumes. So that was really a moment for me where I saw our president in a different way and I saw leadership in a different way where it was acceptable not to know what to do, but being there was enough. You just gave me chills, Kwana. It's incredible when you think about how a moment like that can be shared without even exchanging really words. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, Kwana. Is there anything else that you would want our listeners to know that I haven't asked you? I would like to just share, you know, I am from a a musical family and I always advocate for the importance of music and arts in, in our lives. And I think that at this time when we are all very busy, we're all very stressed, it's important for everyone to connect to music, to experience the arts, to remind us what human existence is and the beauty that can exist in our busy lives. So I would just say, take a moment to care for yourselves, listen to some music, um, make yourself happy, do one thing every day that makes yourself happy. And I think that that will help us to get through this pandemic, to get over to the other side. Thank you, Kwana. And what's one thing that you do to make yourself happy? I dance. I love to dance. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love dancing too. I'm with you. Those those living room and kitchen dance parties are my absolute favorite. Yes. My kitchen is the dance floor. So yes, absolutely. So what do you typically have playing? What's your favorite genre of music? My favorite genre is R&B music. I love jazz music. My cousin is is a really popular musician, John Baptiste, so I love his music. He has a really great dance song out, you know, I Need You. And so it's pretty cool. I listen to it. He has freedom. Freedom makes me happy and dance. And sometimes when I just want to escape, I listen to it and dance around the kitchen. I love that. I actually started for my own stress management during the day. If there's ever sort of a time when I'm feeling that I need a little space, I just put on some music and I'll just dance around in my office. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how it, you know, it kind of gives you a moment to disconnect. You know, you feel the music, your senses are awakened. It's cardio, you get your blood pumping. It just really changes everything, releases some endorphins. I think that the ability to move our bodies and feel free 
it's really a great experience that everyone should feel. So, um, you know, I, I just say dance when you can't think of anything to do dance. I couldn't agree more that mind body connection expressed through dance. It's, there's nothing like it. You can't replace that. Well, that's the perfect segue, Quana, because the last part of our conversation is going to be a quick, fun round where we're going to take a beat and I'm going to ask you a few questions so that our listeners can get to know you in a new way. And you've already shared one thing that is really fantastic and unique about you uh, with your musical family and dancing is one of your passions. Can you share something that less than 10% of your work family know about you that they might be surprised to find out? I sang in a concert chorus. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Did you compete? We did compete. Yeah, we we competed, you know, concert chorus. It was fun, but I don't think many people know that that side because it's really formal singing. Oh my goodness. That's fantastic. You might have to surprise them at an in-service <laughs> one day. It's it's yeah. a good way to start start it off, get them into into their right brain. <laughs> if you had a superpower, what would it be? And I know you love justice. So I'm, I feel like you in a cape is actually is, is a good visual for this. But what would you be or what would you have? I would be Wonder Woman. Oh, my goodness. I need some bracelets and a lasso. I just want to help everyone. I could just see myself flying around. I already fly with no wings. So <laughs> <laughs> that's Absolutely. right. Wonder Woman is, is amazing. I love her, too. She's fantastic. I can see you as that, Quana, for sure. Have you ever dressed up as her for, for Halloween or anything? I, I have I, not, but I should try. You know, that that's very daring. I haven't gotten to that point yet, but definitely that's my dream. She stands for things. She stands for women. She stands for justice. She helps folks. And I think that that shows strength in women that we don't always see. I love the idea of Wonder Woman. We need more of that, for sure. We need more Wonder Women. All right, and final question. If you could be exceptionally great at a skill that you're not already great at, what would it be? I would be a ballet dancer. Quite you love and to the be, arts. Yeah. I would just <laughs> I love, love to be a ballet dancer. I think the grace and strength and the charisma that if I could be exceptionally great at a skill, it would be ballet dancing. I think that if from a work perspective, is if there's anything that I could do exceptionally, I would always say communication. I think that I'm always looking for better ways to communicate. And so communication is a skill that I think that you can never be exceptionally great at, that you're always working to improve and making sure that what's communicated is what's heard. And what's amazing about, I feel like ballet dancing is that there's so much communication that goes on and yet it's in such a sort of a structured or um, like more formal type of way from a movement perspective. So really both of those uh, are are connected. Yes, (laughs) they are. I love that. Well, Kwana, thank you so much for your time today. This was such an enlightening and great conversation. And thank you for all you're doing to transform healthcare for all of us. You're welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. This has been a great opportunity. I'm so happy to share my lived experiences with you. Speak up and be part of the solution. I'm Rebecca Metter. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, Your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.